Well, uh, I've been practicing law in uh, Durham, North Carolina for 38 years. Um, I was initially denied admission to the bar because I went to federal prison briefly. Um, I Mm. was protesting at Fort Bragg. They were training uh, Salvadoran troops that were associated with the death squads that uh, were murdering and raping uh, civilians, including um, American nuns and murdered uh, Archbishop Oscar Romero while he said mass in San Salvador. Good afternoon, Mr. Mr. Alex Charns. How are you doing this afternoon? Um, Thomas, I'm doing really well. And if you call me Alex, that'd be great. Or I'll leave it up to you. I appreciate that. And and yeah, I go by Thomas. Thomas Freeme is my my social. And um, I ran across a post of yours on Twitter, and and um, I saw your book, The Black Madonna. And I briefly uh, ran over what the book was about, and I reached out to you that day, as you know, and we set this up, and here we are. Um, a little bit about my channel, so you know, and a little bit about me, is I'm providing a channel for we the people. Um, I've been incarcerated most of my life in and out, and I ended up doing a 13-year bid out of 210 months. The, the sentence was 17 and a half years. Uh, for conspiracy, conspiracy to distribute um, cocaine. There was no evidence of anything at all, um, just people testifying, snitching, people that I grew up with my whole life that were looking to get out of their sentences. And I went to trial. I used my right to go to trial, and I I was punished for that with a 210-month sentence for a first-time nonviolent drug offense. Um, so this is my passion. Um, and there's many, many stories and my, my, the 13 years that I ended up doing, I got out on Obama's two level reduction for first time nonviolence and, um, it knocked four years off my sentence. I came home, but that 13 years of me fighting my case in the law library, the disgustingness that I saw, the atrocities, it, it was just, it, it, it has to be told. And it has to be believed. And this is what I'm doing. So this channel is We the People. It's a voice for the voiceless. There are many people out there dealing with innocent loved ones in prison, wrongfully convicted, police brutality, things of this nature, and nobody's listening to them. So I give them an opportunity to come on and speak and and let the people listen. So I'm very interested in your story, who you are, your book, The Black Madonna, why it's titled The Black Madonna. And us just getting into that. So without further ado. All right. Well, uh, I've been practicing law in uh, Durham, North Carolina for 38 years. Um, I was initially denied admission to the bar because I went to federal prison briefly. Um, I Mm. was protesting at Fort Bragg. They were training uh, Salvadoran troops that were associated with the death squads that uh, were murdering and raping 
uh, civilians, including um, American nuns and murdered uh, Archbishop Oscar Romero while he said mass in San Salvador. So uh, I, I believe I heard about that. So um, I was convicted of, of all things, impeding traffic, but they wanted to nail me. So they put me in federal court instead of state court. And I did a very short dip uh, in federal prison, but the state bar didn't like the fact that uh, I would call them collect from prison um, and tell them I couldn't make my ethics hearing because I was incarcerated. If they wanted to come see me, I'm happy to see them at FCI Petersburg. Um, They didn't take me up on my offer. They denied me admission to the bar. based on a nonviolent protest. Uh, That was my only conviction. Uh, The State Bar president that year had embezzled a million bucks, uh, but I wasn't moral enough to be a lawyer. Uh, Ultimately, I succeeded in uh, winning my appeal because I had a lot of support in the community and um, including conservatives, it was amazing. uh, I started doing constitutional rights and criminal defense um, and uh, did some police misconduct law back when there weren't videotapes. Hmm. The Black Madonna is based on an actual case. Um, I changed the facts a little bit, um, but it was a case that uh, in Durham, they had something called the uh, Crime Area Target Team. And what they would do is go rouse people um, in African-American neighborhoods. They'd jump out of their van, dressed in black, like ninjas. And this uh, two nurses were walking in front of their own home. It was dark. The the cops had gotten um, a complaint about young teenage African-American males selling drugs. These were almost 40-year-old women walking in front of daddy's home in the, uh, under the lights of the Veterans Hospital and Duke, Duke Hospital in their neighborhood um, where their father had lived for uh, 50 years. And they jumped out, and uh, one of the sisters was pregnant. They slammed her down. Uh, my client, uh, Margaret Dukes, um, was thrown to the ground. Uh, Her brother tried to intervene. He came out of the house, saw what was happening. They tossed them all in the uh, van and uh, took them off. But while they were gone on the the short drive to the uh, Durham headquarters, police headquarters on the Durham freeway, they threatened to throw the brother out the door of the van if he didn't tell them who was dealing drugs. Well, they didn't know who were dealing drugs. They were, they were on a walk. They were simply walking in their own neighborhood, walking while black. So Ms. Dukes um, was charged with resist delay an officer. Luckily, she had a good lawyer. It wasn't me at the time. It was a court-appointed lawyer. And uh, he got her found not guilty, which gave her a chance to sue them. But she did an internal affairs complaint starting off and. In that complaint, she said, you, you violated my Fourth Amendment rights. I was simply walking with my sister 
who was pregnant at the time. Um, and you roused us, you heard us, you threatened us. And what happened is the internal affairs investigator believed her. And miraculously, he found that they had violated the Fourth Amendment. But what happened? All the way up the chain of command, they said, no, you, you, you can't support her rights because she, she may sue us and then we're screwed. So what they did is they ordered this internal affairs sergeant to change his findings. So once they got a hold of me, um, we sued and uh, they had lawyers they paid about a million bucks to, these private lawyers working for the city and for all these cops. We had about 10 of them that was, were sued. After we did 20 depositions in civil court, unlike criminal court, in North Carolina, there's no depositions in criminal court. I think it's different in, in Florida and state court, which mm -hmm. means you're flying blind. You're, you're relying in criminal court on what the, the prosecutor tells you, what the cops tell you. In civil court, you have more rights. You're fighting over money. You have more rights than uh, someone facing life or even death. Uh, in criminal court. It's crazy. Our system, the criminal injustice system is wacky. Well, in civil court, uh, we filed in state court, not in federal court for the civil rights violations. And after 20 depositions and a whole lot of money, and I, I, I represent poor people most of the time. I do court-appointed work. I got folks on death row uh, that I represent. Um, but, but Ms. Dukes, um, she hung in there and uh, it, it took a couple years, but what we were able to find out is they had made this massive cover up. They had lied to her when they sent her her internal affairs letter. They found her complaint was not sustained, which means they didn't believe her. When in fact, the internal affairs sergeant had found her rights were violated, but it took us years to get to the truth through the lies and the deceit of the uh, the city of Durham and the police department there. And then uh, we had a mediation. We didn't have to go to trial because uh, once we, we uncovered their lie, um, at the time this was back um, many, many years ago, 20 years ago, they agreed to about a $300,000 settlement. They agreed to apologize to the women and change the finding and make everything public. Usually it's secret. Yeah. Right. Because they don't want anyone to know their, uh, the way they treat people, the way she they lost, treat people. She lost a child though, right? No, the, um, her sister, the, the child survived. That's where the fiction comes in. So okay. I took two. Thank God for that. Two man. sisters made one one victim, and so Malia in the book is uh, did lose her child because to me the the story here um, she certainly could have lost her child based on the no way question. she was treated, and luckily because Duke Hospital was right there and she was a nurse she was able to get health care that other people don't have access to so she lucked you know she lucked out her, her child survived so the two sisters sued the total settlement was about three hundred thousand um and um what happened after they received the check 
the city went back on their um, their agreement to apologize. They said the cops did nothing wrong. They didn't fire them. They left them on the force. Um, and then they tried to seal all the records of their, oh, their misconduct. Man. So we had to sue them a second time. And the judge says, no, you, you agreed. This is all public. So today, in honor of Margaret Duke, she died of cancer. Um, God bless at the soul. Durham Public Library, the Durham Public Library now, anyone can look at all these records of the lies, the deceit of the city of Durham and the police department, um, the, the way they treated two honest um, law-abiding citizens of Durham who were simply walking while black in their own neighborhood. Um, and back at that time, that was the biggest uh, money settlement uh, in the history of Durham. Um, and they were brave women because they lived in a neighborhood where they weren't safe. And they weren't safe because they had to worry about the cops, the cops brutalizing them, their neighbors, their family. Um, but they, they stood tough and, um, you know, they got some measure of justice. It wasn't complete justice. But it was a long, long story. And, you know, I, I, in memory of Margaret, I wanted to do a, a little book uh, hmm. about her struggle. And uh, I've done. Well, bless other you. Books. Bless you for that, man. Bless you for that. Um, had a client uh, five, six years ago who um, had the misfortune of, um, as a young man, having a drug conviction. Mm. So uh, he got rousted by the Durham police. And in the his exchange with this officer, the officer shot himself. Okay. This was uh, uh, officer five, shot years himself. Ago. The officer okay. shot himself. What does he do? He's embarrassed. He's a drug cop. Uh, and he blames my client of course he for does. shooting him. So the client is facing. Uh, give this guy 20, know, 30 years, murder. 40 years, yeah. right, for, to cover my embarrassment. More. Yeah. So first they prosecute him in federal court for possession of firearm, the cop's gun. And he, um, unfortunately, uh, things don't work out for him. He gets 10 years. So what, what happens, I get appointed. I'm the fifth lawyer in. I'm on the court-appointed list because I believe that um, people should have the right to a vigorous representation. So mm -hmm. I represent people suing cops, and I also uh, go to criminal court for folks, uh, poor, poor folks who have a right to a rich man's defense. So that's what I tried to do. And uh, everyone said, no, you can't, you can't win. There's no videotape. The cop says your client shot him. You're going to lose. He's going to do 30, 40 years. You're crazy. Well, we went to trial. It took three weeks. It took a week to pick the jury in Durham. And this was, uh, you know, we did questions about Black Lives Matter. Um, you know, jurors, what do you think about that? So the, the bad ones, the ones that uh, don't believe in the right uh, to present a defense that don't believe a black man has the right 
to to drive down the, his own streets. Um, you know, we got him off the jury. There was actually a cop who was on the jury who wouldn't say that he he was um, biased, and it, the judge let me uh, examine him alone with no one else around. And finally, it turns out this cop was actually on the search for my client. My client was afraid after, after the cop shot himself, and he didn't stick around, which was not good, but it was self-preservation. What's a, bla- so right. What's cop, a black man going to do? What is he going to do? So what, what happens? Um, that cop who was sitting in the jury box claiming he could be fair, was on the lookout to hunt for my client. And I, we brought that out and kicked his, you know what, his took us off that jury. Um, so it was a And this is why, to, to stop you right there, this is why I say, because I just did an ep- episode, and, and that's some of what my foundation, uh, www.cominghomecoalition.com deals with, is that right there is the essentialness of finding the right attorney, because not all attorneys are going to do what you just described you did. And now you potentially have this, this biased cop on your jury without anybody even knowing the biasness of him. Right. Right. You know, so I could have used, I could have used a peremptory challenge and challenge for any reason, but I'm not going to use up my challenges. I mean that you challenge for cause when someone is biased, you got a cop, on that on that uh, jury, what what kind of justice are you going to get? He's up there, you know, fibbing to be to give a, a nice word about instead of lie uh, or perjure because he's under oath. Um, and we got him off of there. And you know, the judge, um, I had a lot of fights with that judge, but that was a fight that you know the judge went our way. The book um, that. I wrote about that bones of black saints mm-hmm. it's uh, a fictionalized that, version of what is that on of what is that happened. on amazon yeah it's on amazon you can get it at independent uh, bones of black saints and uh you know i i fictionalized it a bit my client uh is uh, the the money uh you know put it when he was still in federal prison the money would go to him uh and i split it with another group uh you know, the money's not going to me. I'm, I'm giving it to the client and then to, um, you know, a charity that helped us with the jury selection. You know, you had a, a bunch of real powerful African-American women that, um, you know, were supporting my client because they know the system isn't fair and they helped us. So the money goes to Spirit House and to my client who is now out of federal prison. So here you got a guy, he's prosecuted in federal court, he gets 10 years, and then they screw him in state court, and they they load him up with five serious felonies, and the man said, I didn't do it, I didn't shoot that cop, you know, I'm going to trial, I'm going to risk 40 years on top of the 10, and we did it, and he was found not guilty of shooting a cop when we had no videotape. And the cop didn't call the stop in because he's up to no good. Right. He didn't call the stop in. So what happened to the cop? Now he's found not guilty. What happens to the cop? Nothing. 
Nothing. Still out there. He gets to go Nothing. home with his wife and kids and all that stuff, man. That's right. That's right. Because that's the way the injustice system works. So, you know, they they did. Justin. He stopped African-Americans. Is he still a cop right now? Time. He's still a cop right this day, today. Come today. on, man. How? Yeah. How? How? Yeah. Come on, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, what's his name? Can you give his name? What's the cop's name? I could, but it's look up, look up Slate in um, Slate article. There's an article on it. He's named. It's all about the the stuff that went on in this in this trial. My name and Slate. They did a great article about it. Um, they tried to remove me from this case early on. Um, they took us back behind the um, judges' chambers. They didn't tell us why they wanted us back there. And they said that I didn't know what I was doing, that I was an incompetent lawyer, and to remove me. And I said, I'm not talking. You put me back in that courtroom. This is going on the record. And uh, I had been practicing law for 35 years. I've sued the cops way more than anyone else. I know about all their tricks. And they're trying to sever my relationship with a court-appointed client. I'm a white man, okay? I got an African-American, a young African-American who you know, may be afraid of a court-appointed lawyer because a lot of people are. And they, the DA knew this and tried to um, damage our relationship. My client believed in me. We had worked on this case. And he basically said this to them. So I apologize for the uh, the visual profanity, but that's what he said in, in nicer terms. Um, and we went on and he was found not guilty of five felony assaults. He was even found not guilty of, uh, he was, they charged him with a traffic offense, a bogus offense so he could stop him, mm. spinning his tires, careless and reckless driving. The jury found him not guilty of that. The, the only uh, conviction was for uh, driving off with, with the uh, gun. Was, they claimed it was uh, in his car. So uh, he ended up getting uh, what amounted to a concurrent sentence. Uh, he was already doing the 10 years. So how many times? But where was the gun at? Was the, was the gun in his car? They never found the gun. They never found the gun, but they, they still never found the gun. Okay. Yeah. So they just stuck him with this time just to say, you know what? You're doing something. You're doing some yeah. kind of time. Right. Yeah. Well, he'd already, he'd already pled guilty in federal court. He got the 10 years before we ever went to state court. So how many times do people get prosecuted? You're doing 10 years federal. How many times does the state come and prosecute you? Try to get you for 40 more. All the time. All the, All time. the time, I've seen, I've seen, I, I've seen, I don't know how many cases in the federal system of guys in there. It's, it, it's charged twice. It's, it's the same charge twice because right. they claim, right. This is the duality in, in our legal system because they claim that it's that the state and federal is separate entities. They're separate charges so that the exactly. state is able to charge you for this, but then the feds is able to charge you for this, but that only works in their favor. It never works in our favor. No, 
No, it's, it, it's outrageous. But the Supreme Court, and I'd like to talk about the Supreme Court a little bit. Um, Get into got, it, but you, you have blown me away so far. The Supreme Court. So, um, so I did a little uh, something to have a little fun. Pope SCOTUS. And as you know, what is SCOTUS? Supreme Court yeah. of the United States. Yes, sir. So right now we've got approximately six or seven, depending on how you count, Catholics on the Supreme Court. Right-wing Catholics, other than one who's a liberal. Um, I'm a Catholic. been a Catholic since Jump Street. When I popped out, I was a Catholic. I'm still a Catholic. I'm a Eucharistic minister. So, you know, um, I see what they're doing. So what I did... I, I got the idea. Let's go to 2025. Let's figure out what the court looks like. The court, this is satire, but it's kind of scary and real, too real for me. The whole court are right-wing Catholics in 2025. Um, and we have someone, I, I decided it's going to be Igor Trump. Igor Trump is the son of Busty Creamer. A porn star in Donald Trump in 2025 in this world that I've created. Um, Donald Trump is no longer with us. He was in a celebrity hot dog eating contest. It was uh, Hebrew National All Beef Franks. He choked to death. Um, but before he choked to death. Why you made the um, man choke to death on the hot dogs, man? Well, you know, it okay. happens. It happens. It, 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 it can does happen. happen. It can happen. Yeah, and, it, and, and it's a Jewish conspiracy because it's Hebrew national all by deep Franks, you know. Um, but someone cut off his big right toe. Oh, my the holy God. relic <laughs> because he's a saint. It's Saint Donald Trump. So at Mar-a-Lago, they got his right big toe under glass on a pillow, you know, like us Catholics do it. And... Uh, what happens is uh, in this world, the two lawyers, the same lawyers that I have in all my novels, and Black Madonna, Pope Scotus, um, and in uh, Bones of Black Saints, I got I have a couple others that I've done um, fiction. I have two lawyers, Starv Yazda and Zenko Lucha, and they're Durham lawyers. And I try to base them on, on good lawyers, the kind of lawyers you want representing you. They do court-appointed work, but, man, they're fighters. Mm-hmm. And so they get appointed to represent a woman called Clementine Angel Crumpet. She's from Slipknot, North Carolina, up in Transylvania County. Um, and she got raped by a jailer. Okay, And this is 2025. This is satire. It's fiction. It's not, it's not real. It's mm-hmm. scary, though. It, because this stuff happens so mm-hmm. what happens to her she gets raped the jailer comes in the next day she stabs him in the neck with a big pen he bleeds out all over her um they don't give her a rape test uh rape kit um but they charge her with murder of the jailer so mm-hmm. she um is someone that is a follower of trump that's in the book that's called TNN not QAnon, TNN, because mm-hmm. the, the holy person is, is Trump. So she fires her lawyers, which sometimes happens, okay? And she asks 
to be put to death because she knows she's pregnant with the rapist's uh, kid. She calls it the rape fetus. Okay. Mm -hmm. So she wants to die. And the jury says, fine, you want to die? We're in the mountains. Uh, You know, we're going to give you the death penalty. She doesn't have a lawyer until these folks show up, starring Zenko, central prison in Raleigh on death row. And uh, they convince her to fight that she'll get to hold the holy relic of Trump while she's executed. This is the way they're trying to get get good with her because she doesn't like lawyers. She doesn't trust them. She right. wants to die because she's got this, her rapist fetus growing in her. And what what does the Supreme Court do in 2025? Abortion's illegal. So here's a woman about to be executed. Abortion is legal. She can't abort the fetus. And that's the storyline. So we got a Supreme Court, a bunch of right-wingers, and mm. they, they're, the only issue they're seeing is they're all Trumpers, and she wants to hold Trump's toe while she's executed. Okay? So this is the, the kind of story I like to write because it's so ridiculous, but it's so much like real life. What is the Supreme Court going to do with death penalty cases now? you got all these right-wingers. They're all right-wing Catholics. Pope Francis says you can't execute anyone in keeping with church teaching. But you have these right-wing Catholics. What do they do with the death penalty? They love it. They love the death penalty. They don't like abortion. Aren't these both life issues? Hmm. I mean, Pope Francis says they are church teaching says they are i'm a catholic what would i do on the court no one's going to put me on the court so that's pope scotus don't want to ruin the book for anyone it's a tiny little book it's only 35 pages but it's my vision to try to make sense of this crazy world that we have in the way the court is going and that you know things are uh you know you're you're falsely accused uh, with a capital crime, you know, what are your chances in this country? Say you're, you're guilty of the crime, but you shouldn't be executed because, uh, you, you know, you, you uh, have some pretty good mitigating evidence. Is this Supreme Court with a bunch of right-wing Catholics um, who don't believe in our life issues that are politicians former prosecutors or people that loved prosecutors, hmm. they're all on the court because why? As I keep saying, you see who our it's, vice president is. Right. You know, so, so how, um, how many cases of, of these type of egregious acts by the police have you ran across and, and do you see? I see it all the time and I'm just one guy. If I showed you my office, um, it, it's, I used to have a, a law partner. I used to uh, have uh, a secretary and a paralegal. And, you know, times are tough. It's just me. So yeah, I'm my type. Believe me, I know how I that answer feels. the phone. I, I do it all just like you do, maybe. Everything. I, maybe. Everything. So I, I do it all. Everything. All everything. Everything, every little thing. So when I get a call from uh, Podunk, North Carolina, 
I can't do it. I'm one guy. So I limit my practice to Durham. And what I've seen in 38 years is a lot of, a lot of bad cops, some good cops, but you know, cops that beat people, cops that shoot okay. people. Okay, let's, let's stop right there because I, I am a big proponent of there are no good cops. And the reason why I say that is because, yes, there are good people and they may be good men and they may be good husbands and good fathers and good community people and all of that. But when they put that uniform on, something changes. And if they, when they hide behind that uniform, even if, they, even if they don't break no codes, but they have knowledge of codes that are being broken and detriments that are coming down onto the community, because the way that I look at it, me as, as, as a citizen, where I'm expected just to go to work and, and, and not get into trouble, and that there's an agency out there that's supposed to protect me and allow me to do and be my constitutional rights. This is how I'm looking at my, my police representatives. You are here to protect me and my rights, uphold me and my rights, as long as I'm not violating them in any kind of way. But there are cops that know that citizens' rights are being violated, yet they stand by, they manipulate, they, they don't do what they have swore to do because of fear of, reper, you know, uh, repercussions or fear of their job or, or however. So th- this is how everything is allowed to continue because <clears throat> the only way we're going to bring this down is from the inside. I feel, you know, it, it has mm-hmm. to come internally. It has to come from the inside. Okay. So that's, Amen. that's why I say that there's, there's no good cops. I, I see on TikTok. Um, and I just saw one the other day, a cop made a video and I, and I made a comment in the, in the video, like, you, you know, this is what I believe, but these are the type of messages that I see that make it hard for me to believe in what I'm saying. However, I just hope that this is you in the community and just not you on TikTok, you know, but it's like he said, you know, we have to stop punishing everybody for these little jaywalking and, you know, disturbances and, you know, that we are protectors of the citizens and we're supposed to take in mind first account their, their money issues and just things of that nature. Like, who am I dealing with? You know, is this, is this a person that can really afford to be harassed? Or Just logic reasoning, I guess, these cops have to have in some sense, you know? Well, what I'm hearing you say, and maybe I don't, don't want to misspeak, Help but me. the system, the system makes prosecutors to be, uh, they, they could be good people before they became prosecutors. They can claim they're going to be, quote, progressive, but the job, the system, which is an injustice system, turns them around. The same thing happens with the cops. So you have someone who wants to help people. They want to be a cop for the right reason, not to beat down someone. But the system is set up such that you can't have a progressive prosecutor because once they get in there, the system turns them into something else. 
mm-hmm. uh, except the strongest people are able to resist it. Same thing with, with officers. Um, the system beats them down. I mean, you have, what, what happened to Serpico? I mean, mm. the Serpico story, when you have a good cop and he, if they, they call them, you know, snitches, squealers, um, you know, all, all the dirty stuff they do. I mean, a, a cop that tells on another cop is, is they're not long for uh, that department or the world maybe. So, um, in my opinion, having looked at this for 38 years, um, being in the trenches, um, it's hard for someone to do the right thing as a prosecutor or as a law enforcement officer because of the culture. The culture makes them into uh, folks that are willing to look the other way. Um, Flesh-eating monsters, that's what I call them. I had, what was that? I'm sorry. Flesh-eating monsters, flesh-eating monsters. That's what I call them. Yeah, yeah, flesh-eating monsters. Just gnawing and and gnashing at everything in front of them, yeah. Yeah, and that that certainly happens. But I've I've met some good prosecutors. I've met some good cops, but they had to fight against it to swim against the current. They, They had to be willing to risk their careers to do the right thing and but who doesn't though right but who doesn't who doesn't when when and throughout history when you're doing the right thing when have you never faced opposition yeah you know and we know that truth tellers go ahead well I, i mean young lawyers said well you know how can you sue cops in the town where you live i said because i live here i don't want them beating down my kid or my wife, or me, or, or someone you. I know. I right. live here, or me. I, I don't want it. So where else would I represent people other than the place I live? Oh, well, aren't they going to do something to you? Well, they haven't yet. You haven't received haven't any yet. threats or any kind of pressure or anything like that? No, I, I, do, I do not take a drink of alcohol and get behind the wheel. Mm-hmm. I don't well, you do know it you have no favor, I, right? I, because no one's going to give me a break. In fact, there was uh, a story about uh, how the cops feel about me. Someone, a lawyer who will remain nameless, was down at the jail with a DWI, and the cops thought it was me. And they were so happy that they were dancing. Um, and, and my wife got a call. Because one of the public defenders, she was a public defender, um, and you know, talk about working in the trenches, mm. doing the Lord's work. Um, she was a public defender that did her job well. And someone called and they said, "Your husband is down at the jail. The cops are going wild. They're partying. Um, they're so happy they got him." And um, she said, "Well, he, he's sleeping here next to me, so you know, they don't have him." They have someone, and it turned out it was someone else, a criminal defense lawyer. It wasn't me, but they were so happy that they got me, and I just don't give them the opportunity. I mean, my car, you know, brake lights work. It's got a current registration. Um, 
because I learned the story of uh, a prosecutor who prosecuted some dirty cops in Durham before I came to town. Uh, they were stealing drugs out of the uh, evidence locker and selling it. Well, this prosecutor um, prosecuted them, sent them off to prison, and he was a drinker, this prosecutor. And they got him coming out of the bar, and they busted him for a DWI. He had a drinking problem, and he basically got run out of town. So what my advice to my clients who sue cops don't help the cops. Do not uh, do anything that is going to make their life easy and your life hard. You see, when when and and this is what I and this is what I'm imploring our communities to do is when something like that happens, the community was supposed to rally behind that prosecutor. You know what I mean? Like, right. they. Right. Uh, this is what we have to do when right is done. And these people are, like you say, sacrificing their careers to 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 do the right thing. They have to know that we have their back, you know. Yeah. yeah. Us, the community, well, look, they have to know. Yeah. Well, look at the history in Durham. I mean, you've heard about the Duke lacrosse case. Right? Yes. You, you, you had, you know, two strippers um, who made false accusations and you know, uh, luckily it worked out for those young men because they had very good lawyers and um, they were able to be exonerated and actually have the Attorney General of North Carolina say they were innocent, not they were not guilty. They dismissed the charges. The prosecutor was disbarred, Michael Knifon in Durham. Um, and um, they, they, the, the system, in a sense, worked for them, but the system didn't work because you had a cheating prosecutor who hid DNA evidence. And actually, uh, what, it, what was his uh, reward? He got one day in jail for that kind of misconduct. One day in jail. He was disbarred. But one day, mm -hmm. if you did that, or I did that, or anyone we know did that, that wasn't a prosecutor, who knows how long in prison they would have gone. I mean, the system's broken, and we all have to fight, you and I, and, and join together, I mean, to, to uh, try to make the system better. I mean, that's, this, is, this is what that's I'm doing. That's why I write. And, and, yeah, and what you just... you're doing what you do. And what you just said about the DNA evidence, right? Now, you're, in, again, in North Carolina, and you said that like you say it every day. Like it's just a common occurrence that these people are just withholding DNA evidence on innocent people to send them to prison. And it's funny because I'm getting ready to interview an, an inmate by the name of, of Curtis that um, is in a particular state, and DNA evidence was withheld from him while pressure was being applied to him to plea out to a manslaughter charge that he did not commit, but they were telling him they were going to take his children. They were going to arrest his family for first degree murder. You know, even so much as when they brought him down to the station to talk about the plea, they had his wife at the time there in handcuffs at the station to, to apply that pressure. And he signed the plea for the manslaughter to save his family and whatever. And the whole time, the DNA evidence that cleared him of this crime was there four days prior to him coming in for the plea. 
And now, of course, afterwards, he, he, he's been trying to, he's been, I think, gone for nine or 10 years or 12 years now. And the, the, the appellate court told him, no, you signed the plea. The stuff was made available to you, mm-hmm. you know, and you still signed it knowingly, which is crazy to me because I would think that the court would take a stance on reasonableness. You know, that's, that's an irreasonable person that would do something like that. It's an illogical move to, to plea out to a, to a charge that I know DNA evidence is clearing me of. It just doesn't make sense. You know, so I, I would think that the court would have to ask, like, young man, why are you doing this? Why are you pleading out to manslaughter when the DNA evidence is clearly shows that you're you're, you know, because that DNA evidence wasn't made available at the time. Right. So this yeah. is a common occurrence. You just said it like it was nothing like this happens every day. It's, it's just how many cases are these prosecutors just just finagling to to their advantage we already know conspiracy in the federal court is 99.9 percent impossible for indefensible for any attorney to defend against so but yet we're we're in the land of the free and we're innocent until proven guilty this is what they tell us so this is what i propose this is what I propose. I have a moniker that I do not negotiate with terrorists. I'm not going to have senators, representatives, anybody on my channel. I'm not looking to speak to these people. I'm not looking to go to these people. Who I'm looking to go to is my people. We the people, right? The American citizens. And I'm trying to educate them as much as I know. And I'm trying to bring educated individuals onto my channel to help me explain how we're being fucked over and how we can still take charge and stand up by education. I I find on TikTok where these, these citizens and I love them to death, man, where they they'll stop a cop in his tracks when they start hitting them with code and constitutional amendments and just, and the cop, he don't fucking know. He's just sitting there looking back and forth. I love when a citizen, it's all on TikTok. You know, where we are putting these people in, your, in their place. You can't do what you're doing and filming them, you know. But my thing is this. Like I say, I don't negotiate with terrorists because I'm looking at the definition of what terrorist is. I'm not what these people are telling me and, and who these people are telling me are terrorists. But I'm looking at the definition itself. And I see a lot of that in our representatives, in our government. And the only way. The the key to my door, because I'm growing a crowd and I'm growing a mass. This is what I'm doing. Eventually, these people are going to want to come talk to me. This is this is the plan. This is the master plan for me. And I have a key that they can use. And that key is I don't want to talk about anything unless we're talking about taking uh, making prosecutors accountable for their actions. First and foremost, If I'm found not guilty that this prosecutor brought a charge against me and I'm found not guilty of that, I want the ability to bring a charge against that prosecutor for slander, uh, uh, character assassination, whatever happened to me during that. I want that prosecutor to be held accountable for the hell that they took me through. 
That's first and foremost. And that'll change a lot of shit, I promise you. Yeah. Yep. Well, uh, we could Good luck with jump that. into qualified <laughs> immunity. But uh, one thing, we're, we're on the Supreme Court, and I'd like to bring it back because I think this it gets trickled down from the Supreme Court. So 1992, I published this book, Cloak and Gavel. Uh, it's a university press book, University of Illinois. I had three historians that signed off on it. Um, FBI wiretaps, bugs, and formers in the Supreme Court. Um, and how did I get the information for this? Did they just give it to me? Did the FBI say, hey, here, Alex Torrance, take this information? No, mm. back when I was a law student, uh, I wasn't a very good law student because I was always doing other things. You know, I got arrested as a law student. Uh, I was working on doing Freedom of Information Act requests because Dave Garrow, who wrote about the FBI and Martin Luther King, was at University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. I was in law school. And I said, if they had this counterintelligence program and they were trying to screw Martin Luther King, what were they doing to the liberal justices? So I did a, a Freedom of Information Act request back in the 1980s for their file, the FBI file in the Supreme Court. What did they tell me? We don't have one. Hmm. Well, what I did is said, I don't believe this because I'm just, you know, uh, trust but verify. I didn't trust, but I was going to verify. So I did Supreme, I did Freedom of Information Act requests and every single justice who was dead because their privacy uh, otherwise would prevent me from getting it. So every justice going back to the early part of the century, the prior century. And what did I find? And then I did my a request for the file on me. And what did I file in, find in the file on Alex Charns? They had actually found a 2,300-page file, FBI file, called Supreme Court, gave me a fee waiver because it was in the public interest to not charge me 10 cents a page. And then hmm. they told me it didn't exist. So when what did I do? I sued them. Paul M. Green, my buddy, was my lawyer, and he was he was a pit bull. We had two lawsuits against the FBI in Greensboro, North Carolina, and those guys would come down, and they would put stuff under seal, as you know, secret stuff, and give it to the judge why I couldn't have things. Because we're dealing with wiretaps, snitches at the court, um, microphone surveillance, and a lot of it wasn't with a warrant. It was in the bad old days where they had secret filing systems. They'd call it do not file files. They'd call mm. it June mail. Um, so what, what did we get after 10 years of litigation? We found out there was a snitch on the court, an informant. And who was it? It was a justice. It was Associate Justice Abe Fortas, who was a great man in a lot of ways, but he had secrets. He had secrets in his personal background. He had, uh, he, he loved LBJ. 
He loved President Johnson. He was an advisor to President Johnson. So what did he do when he was on the court? Uh, in a wiretapping case that um, involved the FBI and a man named Fred Black. There were also wiretapping cases against Muhammad Ali, Jimmy Hoffa, and all these were, war these were warrantless because J. Edgar Hoover was playing a game with, with uh, Attorney General Kennedy and um, they were blaming each other. And now this was all getting exposed. This memo is October 25th, 1966, conversation with Justice Fortas. So it, it's gonna be hard for you to see it, but here's the actual FBI document showing Associate Justice Fortas had a conversation with Cartha DeLoach, who was like third in command at the FBI, Hoover and Tolson, the second in command, and J. Edgar Hoover, the director, the man, uh, directed them to go talk to Fortis because they knew uh, if they said this is going to help bring down Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, um, that LBJ didn't like, the president didn't like his attorney general because he was a political enemy, even though we're both Democrats. So, you know, here's a document that proves that a, a associate justice of the Supreme Court is a snitch, is an informant for political if you take, reasons. If you take a picture of that and send it to me, a good picture, I can put that up on the... Uh... In the All video, right, I'll do that. So I'll they can they can actually the readers the the listeners can actually read it. Yeah. Yep. So he he talks about talking with Fortis that Fortis had recused himself, which is fancy legal language for he wasn't going to rule on the case because he had political dealings with with the Justice Department and with the FBI and with LBJ, and he knew he shouldn't rule on the case. But what I did is went and got special permission to go to Yale while I was researching this book. I had these memos and I got to look at Fortis's papers and they were filled with these secret files of all the documents that Hoover and the FBI gave uh, Fortis to try to change the outcome of this decision. So can you imagine this kind of unethical behavior? He should have been impeached. And the FBI knew it. They're our lead federal law enforcement agency knowing a justice is cheating on a case. Now they're doing it for the FBI, so of course they're not gonna report it. But what, yeah. what happens when Fortas gets nominated to be chief justice? Right. Who does the background investigation? The FBI. Did they tell Congress? Did they tell the right. Senate? And by the time that happens, they're going to sweep it all under the rug because it's too much to uncover. It, 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 un, right. it, it, un, it uncovers too much. So it's just easier to sweep it under the rug and keep us, we the people, ignorant. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what happened. And until until uh, I did this book and sued the FBI to, to get all this, and it was tens of thousands of pages of documents about the federal judiciary. They had a federal judge's file. Hoover 
had a list of people he wanted to be on the Supreme Court because they were people that uh, were pro-cop, they were pro-FBI, and they were anti-us. They were anti-criminal defendants, people who are presumed to be innocent, and he had a list. So when we look at the Supreme Court that we have now, all these right-wing justices, this is the FBI court. It's what Hoover tried to do. And what I argued in this book is that they had a counterintelligence program like they had against King, like they had against the Black Panthers, like they had against the anti-war folks, against our court. They used wiretap overhears. They used microphone overhears. They used informants. They had informants on other cases court employees in the Rosenberg case, the atomic spy case in the 50s, they, the uh, court clerk, the marshal of the court were all snitching to the FBI about what they saw happen in the building. So you have someone that went into the conference room of the Supreme Court and told the FBI in a case involving FBI illegal wiretapping. So what- I mean, this it's- it's a- it's almost like these people just go up there and just do whatever the hell that they want. You know what I mean? Acor- according to their agenda, which I, I, that's a whole different rabbit hole for me, but yeah, what do we do, Alex? Well, what is their agenda? I mean, their agenda is if you're charged with a crime, you lose. If you're set to be executed, you lose. If- well, that's all. Well, the agenda is the, the prison industry business itself. The, the money that they make off that, listen, this is the only corporation industry that you don't, they don't have to put a dollar into because the taxpayers put all the money into it. And they just take all the profit from the prison industry and do God knows what with it. Nobody knows where this money goes, these billions and billions of dollars, right, that the prison industry generates every year. Nobody knows where this money goes. It don't go back into the prisons. I promise you that. So it's it's getting the people to understand. Everyone's walking around saying, oh, well, we know prison is a business. Do you understand what that means? Don't turn this into a cliche. Understand the mechanics and the mechanisms behind how this is a is a is an industry. Again, this is why I say people like us who are felons. This is why they, they've oppressed us the way that we have, because we've been through the system and we've seen the atrocities in the oppressive state, right? And they don't want us to come out and speak that. So they oppress us. They continue to oppress us by calling us monsters, by, by you know, just showing over and over again that we are criminals. We go back to prison. We're not to be trusted. We'll lie. We'll do all of this. It's the same propaganda that they pushed for marijuana, for for alcohol prohibition, it's the same principle, right? It's the same methodology that they use going through the press, through the media. It's the same methodology. So it's, as you say, just, just, just keeping us dumb and knowing what they only want us to know. Meanwhile, they're continuing to do what they do. It's a business. They don't want to change it. This is why I say I don't, I don't negotiate with terrorists. I, I, I love and I never take away from the from anyone that has the courage to go and fight, stand out with their signs in front of the buildings and yell and scream. But it does no good. 
it makes you feel good. It makes you feel like you've done something, but it does no good. It's the same principle as if I was to go in front of Amazon, right, and tell Je- Jeff Bezos to change his business model. We don't like your business model, Jeff. Change it. What is Jeff going to do? He's going to look at me and he's going to say, oh, well, you know, I, I appreciate your opinion and we'll take that into consideration. But in his mind, he's like, man, who the fuck are you? Get the fuck out of my face. That's what he's saying in his mind. And the government, the prison business is the same concept. So they come with these little band-aids. Okay, well, let's give these guys. Okay, it's been like it's been 40 years now. Let's give these guys good time now. Let's start showing the communities that we, we do care about. It's bullshit because you're still locking them up. This is why I say I don't want to talk unless it's about prosecutorial misconduct, right? Prosecutorial yeah. immunity, because that is where it starts at. I don't want to talk about yeah. when these guys are coming home. I want to stop them from going in. Yeah. Well, speaking about prosecutors again, um, in Durham, we have a prosecutor, uh, African-American woman who claims to be progressive. Um, I wondered whether she had a Brady Giglio policy on exculpatory favorable evidence for my clients. So I did a public records request. That's what we call it uh, in North Carolina. So she blew me off. She didn't respond. She hadn't heard that I'd sued her predecessors under the public records law and won. She didn't know who I was. She just thought I'm some older gentleman with a white mustache. And, uh, you know, she didn't know who I was. I'm not one of her friends. Mm. I didn't donate to her campaign. I don't play golf with her prosecutors. I play hockey. I still play hockey. So what I do, I, I, re- I request it again. And then again, over the course of months. And then the day before uh, I sued her, I said, I'm going to sue you. She didn't believe me. I filed a public records lawsuit against her. When the press found out, they called her. Two hours later, I have her policy on Brady Giglio on favorable evidence. Well, that's a constitutional principle. Why wouldn't you make that available to the people? Why do I have to sue you? And, you know, essentially, um, why? If you're a progressive prosecutor that believes in freedom and, and justice and the Constitution, why do you make some private lawyer sue you in court to get that? I had to sue her predecessors under the public records law when cops were photocopying court orders and when there wasn't a case filed to get private phone information. And you said this is an African-American, a black. This is an African-American. Uh, a black Act prosecutor. No differently than a white conservative um, of days of yore in Durham. There's, there's no difference. There is no such thing as a progressive prosecutor. Well, believe me, they trust me, the black, the black community are coming for them. Trust me. And they're putting them, them, them type of people on blast as well as they should, because, again, it's a communal thing. You know, we we until we get rid of this whole friggin race bullshit, you know, we're stuck in this matrix. So, yes, it's it's I just did an interview with with uh, somebody the other day. And it's like he said, you know, we can we can say this. Everything that you're saying, we've been saying, and it doesn't count. But when you say it, when it comes from a white man, people listen. 
you know, and me being a white person, I understand that to be true. And I know that to be true. And, and I'm holding that responsibility and that accountability for white people to understand the complexity of what black people are trying to, to explain to us as well, you know, so, but it's, it's all of us taking accountability and all of us citizens, we the people that love and understand what your constitution is and what your rights are and how important they are, because this is it. There's no other country. This is why everybody's trying to come here. There's nowhere else you're going to go to get out of socialism or some sort of government control than America. And I'll tell you, man, them scales are when I see when I can see a socialist an outspoken socialist run for the presidency and see this man's bumper sticker on people's cars and things like that. I know we are a confused country. You know, it scares me. I'm scared. I'm scared. But Alex, man, I did not. I really did not expect this at all. I did not expect you to be who you were. Um, I knew this was going to be a great conversation. And the thing of it is, is, is this, and this is, this is what I tell us that are in this line of work. Like when I bring you on the show, you're part of the family. You are part of, of what I have going on and what we got going on. Part of just awakening the, the citizens and, and bringing the right, no matter what our, our small little opinions and differences are there, but the, the root and bottom line is we care about our country, we care about our people, and we care about, first and foremost, what's right. But in that line of work is dangerous, as you know. And like I tell me, people, you know, people look out for me, I look out for them. If I stop making shows, if I stop, you know, just disappear, you guys look out for me, find out what's going on, you know. Because this is this is dangerous stuff. And again, what scares me is the stuff that you and I just discussed 30 years ago, 40 years ago would have brought a great amount of heat on us fast. But now it doesn't. And like you say, when you say "Ah, I've sued these people and and nothing really comes down, that scares me. Because it's something comes down. I I don't want to misrepresent my office was broken into a file of a um, cop lawsuit was opened i couldn't prove who did it but Mm. i look over my shoulder but i come from a family of freedom fighters that were in poland during world war ii Mm. and they did stuff that uh, soldiers fought the nazis they went to prison Mm. for for working in the underground they so what I, I grew up that this is my responsibility, just like you feel it's your responsibility. It's our responsibility to do something about the problems in this country. And so if we don't do it, if we, the people don't do it, it's not going to get done. And it's going to lose and we're going to lose it. And this is ours. This is what I want people to understand. We are the boss. Do not lose sight of the fact that we are the boss, but when we when we're constantly distracted with football, basketball, sports, who's on TV, who's doing this, and we rely on the government to take care of all this stuff, 
right? Well, that's the government's agenda. That's what they want you to do is to say, you know what, government, just handle all of this stuff for us and let us, let me just come home and drink my beer and watch football. That's all I really want to do. You know, we have to understand that it's our rights that allow you to do that, not the government, but that, that article, that constitution, and that's what the government is supposed to protect, but they're not. You know, they're manipulating it and they're using it against us. And we have to wake up for that. So, Alex, again, thank you, man. I would love to have you on again on, on many discussions that you brought up. I mean, you brought up a wealth of information. And uh, how can people get a hold of you? Where can they reach you at? How can they find you? Um, I've got a website, alexturnslaw.com. And I'm in the book. It's my, you know, it's just me. So when you call, you get me. Um, hey man, I could test the cloak and that. gavel is out of print because it's it's decades old. But your library probably has it. Um, you know, it's still available. I, I don't get anything out of it, but you know, it's sold on eBay, Amazon. You can get it at your library. Most libraries have it because it's a university press book. Um, it, it actually was uh, cited to the Supreme Court in a in a electronic surveillance case. They pointed out the lawyers uh, pointed out that this happened to the Supreme Court. It happened to you guys. You should worry about this. So you know all those books are available. You know someone uh, emails me or calls, I'll respond. Um, I only I only work out of Durham because it's just me. I, I there's only one of me. And uh, I don't take cases if I can't go full out because that's what I would want. If yeah. it was me or my kid, I'd want someone that would say, I am going to go full out for you. So, you know, Alex Torrance. Hey, listen, I know, I know exactly how it is. I know. Ex- I- I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off there. What was that? Alex Turnslaw.com? Alex Turnslaw.com. You just look up Alex Turns. There's Turns is a made up name. Because the the what happened at Ellis Island and uh, with uh, you know the, the healthcare system that poor Polish Americans had, they, their names got chopped. So there aren't any other charns of C H A R N S in in North Carolina. So you look up Alex Charns, you Google me, you're going to get me. So you okay. know, reach I, out. I, I was saying I, I know exactly how it is to to be on your own and doing everything by yourself. Um, I'm, I'm so glad that I brought you on because I feel that it's going to, of course, bring awareness to you and what you're doing. But again, I'm trying to build a, a community, uh, uh, you know, so who knows where this is going to go and, and what branches out from here. But again, thank you for coming on. Um, I love the discussion and just keep doing what you're doing, man. I, I really greatly appreciate you and who you are uh, from the bottom of my heart. So I appreciate what you're doing and we, we can talk again. We'll uh, just reach out and, and uh, we'll figure out a time to do it. Anything I can do for you. If, if uh, you need some marketing done, anything of that nature, just let me know. I'm, I'm here for to just to help individuals like you to help me. You know what I mean? So we grow together and we, we just, we just we just take our country back, you know, and and take control of this shit again. So once again, Alex, thank you. You take care, stay safe, yep. and as I tell my listeners, 
continue to be your best self because that's that's how it changes. You know, it all starts with self. So if we ain't being our best self, then nothing's never going to change. So until the next time, my friend, stay safe. Bless you, brother. Bless you too.